The scripture passage is Titus 2, 11 to 3, 9. And if you want to read along, it's on page um, 1,108. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hated one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteousness, but not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our eternal life, or sorry, uh, Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, to ha having the hope of eternal life. This is trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. This is God's word. For the past few weeks, we have been exploring this idea, this beautiful Christian notion called hope. And we do that as we prepare for Christmas. We've been looking at Christmas. Advent is all about preparing for Christmas. But it doesn't just simply remember that first coming of Christ. It always is looking at Christmas through the lens of a future, sort of looking way beyond, not to first Christ's first coming, but to the second coming, to the return of Jesus Christ. And as we've been looking at this hope-filled imagination that a Christian has as they look to that second coming of Christ, we've been trying to understand what does it mean for us today? How do we live today out of that future perspective, out of hope? And, and the key thesis, I guess, if you could call it that, for the past couple of weeks has been this, how you live right now, your present behavior, your current character is so profoundly determined by what you believe about that future. I just saw that again yesterday, in yesterday's Globe and Mail. I don't know if you caught the article by Ian Brown, and he, in this article, this feature article, Ian Brown was wondering about this reality. He writes this, he says, at the end of a long, dark year, I can't help but wonder, is this the way we're going to live now? And he was talking about fear. 
and about all those horrible things that have happened this year? Is this, is this the anxiety we're going to live with? And then he asked this question, which gets to the heart of what we're talking about. How do you get up and go to work and pay your bills and raise your children if you can't look forward to the future? How do you get up and go to work and pay your bills and raise your children if you can't look forward to the future? He's touching on the reality, the basic human reality. We all need hope. Human beings are irreducibly hope-created beings. And we just so profoundly underestimate what an engine it is for forming us, the hope that we live with, that, that believed in future that we look forward to. Christian hope is this life-affirming, life-shaping certainty that our ultimate future is this beautiful, eternal love and glory of God, the new heavens and the new earth that is going to come to this earth. And we've been exploring how the uniqueness of that Christian hope impacts what it means in every area of our lives. And today, we're going to explore one final time how that hope shapes our life, and we're going to look at how it's a very public way, how hope is not meant to be sort of this privately held belief, um, not just sort of a privately held inner peace that you have, but it actually is a profoundly public and personal reality. And we're going to look at particularly how hope shapes your work life. In answer to that columnist from the Globe and Mail, Ian Brown, how do you get up if you don't know what the future holds? The Christian hope gives you, even in dark times, the resources to get up and go to work. And this Titus passage we read today, we heard, is just superb. It is focused in on that future hope. What Titus calls, in verse 13, the blessed hope. And he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That hope, the return of Jesus Christ, it fills the pages of the whole New Testament. About 300 times that second coming is the reference, and, and, and that's the key vision um, that is unpacked for us and that, that, that forms the New Testament view of the world. And here's the vital thing about it, however, that that hope of the second coming of Jesus is never brought up to get you to speculate about when it will happen. That's where so many Christians just go so off. It's not meant to have you thinking about, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. What sort of events in the world are going to predict this coming, this second coming? No, not at all. It is always brought up to encourage you to live right now. It is always brought up to help shape the person you are here and now. That's the impact. That's the, the force of Christian hope. It is intended to make you a very distinct, unique person immersed in this world right here and right now. That's what we're going to look at today, how hope shapes a very distinct person. Now, when you think about that, what, what, do you, what comes to your mind when you think of a really hopeful person? Is it the eternal optimist, you know, the sunny ways type of person? Um, see sunshine all the time. What do you think of a person who is always longing for the return of Jesus Christ, who is looking for the end times? In our culture's imagination, here's often what we think of when we think of that person. Um, usually, when you think of someone who's looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, 
you think of an odd person. Um, in our culture's imagination, it's mostly a, a sort of disheveled person. Usually has a sandwich board or a sign that shouts out, the end is near, right? It's someone who is looking forward to the apocalypse, to the end of all things. And of course, that person doesn't, isn't really concerned about this world, right? Because that person is essentially waiting to get off of this world, waiting for the end of all things. They don't really care about this world because the end is near. That is not what a Christian is. That is not what the gospel tells us about. While we do wait for the second coming of Jesus, that waiting is not inactivity. It is not hoping, wishing for an apocalypse. Not at all. Jesus and his kingdom has come. We're in it even now. And yet we wait for the the fulfillment of that kingdom to come. We wait in hope for the king to return, to bring with him his reign of justice and glory. And that hope makes us into a distinctly different person right now. And specifically, it shapes us into a person who does the most for the present world. That might be a surprise for you. A Christian is not someone who just pines away for a future world and does nothing now. No, no, no. They are intimately, passionately involved in this world right now because of that hope. Look at what a person of hope looks like from this passage. Titus says, hope creates people who are eager to do good, who are passionate to do good. That's what we read. Verse 12, people who are able to live upright lives. Now, the whole point of bringing up again the second coming, and i got to emphasize it again and again, whether it's Paul or Jesus or John or whatever biblical writer it is, whenever they bring up the end times, they're always bringing it up to get you and I to be passionate about living now, to get us focused in on living here and now. How does that work? How does hope, that future hope, parlay into an active life right now. One of my professors at seminary, Neil Plantinga, is helpful. He wrote a book called Engaging God's World. And he says there that the second coming is good news. And it's good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. And so if you're a slave in Pharaoh's Egyptian world, or if you're an Israelite exiled in some Babylonian prison, or if you're a refugee stuck in a refugee camp, or if you're a woman just stuck in a culture where men dominate your life and your body. Or if you're a modern day slave and you're trafficked in the sex industry. Or if you're living in some sub-Saharan African village where AIDS has just devastated generations there. You don't take it lightly when someone says, Jesus is coming again. That's good news. Because here's why it's good news. Because the coming of the king brings with it the conditions of that coming kingdom. The coming of the king means justice is going to fill the earth again. Plantinga writes this. He says, passionate Christians want the return of the Lord. And so do compassionate Christians. And what he's saying is if you're looking forward to the coming of Christ's return, then you also are longing for all the good conditions that accompany Jesus' return. And as Scripture talks about that, there's there's two big realities that are going to unfold when Jesus comes again. One is everyone is going to know him. 
talks about how every eye will, will see, everyone will know the truth of Jesus. And then secondly, the coming of the king is going to bring about the end of death and hunger and injustice and suffering and disease. And so if you believe in him, and if you care about the second coming of Jesus, Plantinga says it's going to make you into a passionate and a compassionate person who is going to be passionately concerned about those, both those things, about people knowing the king, knowing Jesus, and also wanting to see the end of suffering and injustice and disease. And he's just echoing what Titus is saying here. Anyone who longs for the appearing of Jesus as someone who's eager to do good right now, People who are eager to love and to sacrificially care for and serve others, whether they believe the things we do or not. That's what makes you compassionate and passionate. We're told in verse 12 that people who long for this blessed hope are people who live upright lives. Now that word upright doesn't really capture it. We often mishear the word upright. We think here upright and the mistranslation that often goes on in our heads is morally uptight people, right? That's often the mental calculations that happen. But it, that misses the whole heart of this word. It's a beautiful word, it, 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 dikaios, which means justice, really. It means to live a just life. Now, what does it mean to live justly? One other professor of mine, I'm giving you a whole my seminary education here, you guys, <laughs> Bruce Waltke, who was a famous biblical scholar, after having read, studied, poured over the Old Testament scripture, when he, he looks at the idea of what it means to be righteous or just, he says, when you and I see that word righteous in the Bible, we mostly think of private morality. We think of don't cheat on your spouse, tell the truth, go to church, keep your nose clean. That's not what this means. The word righteous means to live justly in the world. A righteous person in the Bible is someone who is willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. The unjust, on the other hand, are willing to disadvantage the community for their own advantage. Most people, he goes on, Bruce Walke goes on to say that, think of unrighteous as people, you know, committing moral sins, committing adultery. And of course, that's unrighteous. But it's way beyond that. The book of Proverbs talks about this, how it says, Do not withhold good when it is in your power to act. A just person is someone who lives with this constant recognition that while I have the power to act, I need to do good for all those around me. The claims of other humans, they, they have claims on me. And so it's unrighteous to not feed the poor when you have the power to do so. It's unrighteous to not look into those elderly or frail or fragile neighbors when it is within our power to do so. That's what he's saying. He's saying the Bible, when, when you live an upright life, it means you live a just life. It means you feel and recognize the claims of the human community upon you. Christian hope makes you that sort of person. And more than that, it's a person who longs for the second coming of Jesus, is someone who's, who's committed to do good and to do good in this world, someone who's committed to the flourishing and the goodness of this world. Christian hope gets lived out in very public ways. It's not a private little value, again, that you hold to yourself. It moves you right into the public square. 
And I want to take this teaching of hope right now and apply it to our work lives, which is where most of us spend our lives. And we as a church are really committed to doing that, to helping people understand the integration of where our work and our faith intersect. Because one of the easy struggles is for us to sort of compartmentalize our faith. You know, we go into work and, uh, well, our faith is for weekends or for private. And, uh, you know, we, we come to our job and we have the tendency to, to sort of say, okay, I'm going to avoid anything that's immoral or illegal or I'll just invite people to a Bible study or a prayer group. And I mean, those are good things, okay? Don't do anything immoral or illegal. Invite people to a Bible study. But it's bigger than that, the impact of our faith. And in this passage, three different times, Titus calls us, people of hope, to do good. In, in chapter 2, verse 14, and then in 3, verse 1, and then later on in 3, verse 8. Christians are people who are concerned for goodness, for the common good. This is what a person who longs for the hope of Christ's return looks like. They are busy, focused. Their attention, their lives are given towards serving the bigger good by doing good. Which means we should ask about our work. Is, is what am I doing helping others flourish in some way? Is it building up the human community, building up common good? Are we paying attention to all our skills, all our gifts, all our training, and then asking, how can I serve in my work in a way that's congruent with good for others, with human flourishing? Because when we do that, we are like God. Did you know that? When God created this world, he's a worker, right? He's creating this world, and he created this place, this earth, this universe where human life flourishes where all things can grow and become more. And he does all this work for the sake of this other, you and I and this creation. And then he, he calls creations to be like him, to do the very same thing. So in that environment, God calls humans to cultivate creation, to work it, to take the raw materials of earth and, and human ingenuity and creativity and work those raw materials and draw out all its potential for the sake of others around and all our work is essentially that, doing what God has done, taking this raw material, working it for good, working it for others. Think of education for a minute. We have a number of educators here in this congregation. Education is, is taking the raw materials of, of the minds and hearts and characters of, of children, of students, whatever age, and, and shaping them by, by exposing them to the wonders of the world, to the lessons of history, to the, to the beauty of literature and and forming virtuous, discerning citizens of the world who will shape this world for good. Music. We have so many beautiful, gifted musicians. Music is taking the raw material of, of sound and, and time and, and rearranging it and working it. This is an incredible job. I mean, talk to any musician or producer or composer or performer, and they take notes and instruments and time, and they give music that lifts us, that changes us. An architect takes the raw materials of, of, of space, form, and creates a building or designs a public space that encourages human interaction and conversation and community, a space that brings people together and 
humane ways. It causes community to flourish. An entrepreneur takes the, the raw material of an idea or a talent or a resource and, and you bring all these things together and you have new ventures and new products that, that add jobs to the economy and add value to the economic life. All of that work, it's, it's focusing on good for others, for the sake of others, giving humans what they need to be human. Our hope for God's coming kingdom fuels that capacity to do good. This is what a hopeful person looks like. So they, they, they do good. They, they work at the flourishing of others, but they do it with a certain perspective too. And this is so vital for us. Christian hope gives us a healthy perspective on our work. It moves us beyond presumption, you know, assuming that everything depends on me, and it moves us beyond despair, both of those. And do you know how important that is? Because so many people invest every hope they have in their career. We here live in the city, and most people come to the city to work because their careers are really important. Uh, and that leads people to overwork, to invest too much of their life hopes into their work. But look at what it says here. Chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. The word passions is a fairly negative word. It means an over-desire. You have placed way too much desire or hope in this one thing. It's an inordinate desire, a drive for something that's good, but you've made it ultimate. We do that with our work. We think it's going to justify our lives somehow or deliver some sense of self. But the gospel and Christian hope gives us a different perspective. It enables us to, to let go of work, saying my sense of self doesn't depend on my work. It enables us to not put things like family or relationships or your health ahead of work. And part of the perspective this Christian hope gives us for our work, this blessed hope, is that when Jesus returns, he's going to put everything right. That means, on the one hand, we understand that right now, everything is not well. Everything is not right. And so, while we take responsibility for work, we don't take responsibility for the fact that everything has to come out all right. It's not all on us. And yet, while we take responsibility for what we uniquely contribute, giving ourselves fully to, to this work. We know the hope of the world that is coming. And we're certain that what God began in Jesus, he's going to bring about to full completion. And so we can give ourselves fully to this work. It's this both and again. I was having lunch this past week with a, a young lawyer. And um, he gets this. He's beginning his career, and he's, he's going in with a vision for justice, but he knows that a lot of what he does in a legal career, he'll be doing is sort of legal minutiae. And so he knows that a lot of life is just thorns and thistles, and yet, and yet, there's going to be a few times, a number of times in his career, when he's going to be part of justice happening, with this reign of God actually taking shape in this life here and now. Christian hope enables us to work, to work with all our being and, and not grow discouraged by the frustrations we face, to work without despair, to work without presuming our work is the center of God's project. We, know, we work knowing we are one participant in this big plan of God renewing all things. 
Christian hope gives us that healthy, helpful perspective. So Christian hope makes us people committed to doing good. It gives us this healthy perspective. And one final thing, it gives us this, this motivation, this heart. We do this not out of fear. We do this not out of a moralistic sense to prove ourselves. It's not ego. It's not anger. It's the love and the mercy of God. The heart of this life of hope is the experience of grace. Paul calls the second coming of Jesus Christ a blessed hope. Now, why does he do that? A blessed hope. Well, the fact is, Jesus is coming back to put the world right. He's going to make the end of refugee camps, make the end of genocide, of disease, of hunger and death. If there's no judgment day, what hope is there for the world then? But if there is a judgment day, the question is, what hope is there for us? And the only reason we have rights to hope, the reason we can celebrate Christmas so joyfully and, and at the same time ache, ache with all of our hearts for that second coming of Christ as a blessed hope is this. The very judge who comes to judge is the one who has offered himself already for our sake who has taken our place, who has removed the whole curse from us. Look at this passage, chapter 3, verse 4. When the kindness and love of God, there it is, that's the motive. It's when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, through Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We have the judge who was judged, which means your judgment day is in the past. You don't have to worry about that any longer. God has judged sin in Jesus. We all died with him. So our future guaranteed is this blessed hope to which we now plunge our lives in giving ourselves fully so that we might see instances, examples of that. So this, friend, this Christmas, friends, hope with all your heart. Not wish, hope with that certain hope. Live in that hope. Drill that hope deep down into Jesus Christ and let it shape the way you live in this world. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is because of mercy and kindness and love that we're here, that we're part of your kingdom renewal of all things. Thank you that that is the motive of this all, God. It's not a sense of fear. It's not because you're pointing a finger of judgment at us. This is because you have open arms of embrace of love and mercy because of Jesus. God, may you make that such a living reality for us this Christmas season, that you have come with mercy and kindness. And may that inspire us in a whole new way to offer our lives for the sake of others, just like you have done for us in Jesus Christ. May our Christmas celebrations be filled with this beautiful, blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.
Amen.